Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a world. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We ask if Ferrari should have kept Kimi Raikkonen for next season and debate his place among the legends of F1. Kimi Raikkonen remains one of the most popular drivers in Grand Prix racing and will continue to be so, given he signed up for two more years with Sauber. But his performances remain a controversial topic, making him arguably the most divisive driver in Formula One. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me to unwrap the riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma clad in an often monosyllabic fin are representatives of both sides of the argument. Now, first up is Scott Mitchell, author of a recent article around in the plus subscriber area of autosport.com entitled Raikkonen's Ferrari Exit Ends a Great F1 fallacy. Now you got a bit of a social media beating for that one, didn't you, Scott? It was more than just social media. I, I got, I had emails. I had uh, people. I had a couple of people in person, sort of pointing out how like bold it was to to, to make that claim. So, uh, did anyone send you an actual written letter? Uh, I didn't get any mad written letters. No, that's I, I. I don't. I've never got one of those. That's sort of my that's sort of my main thing that's missing at the moment from my CV of all of the things I've done. It's one of those crazy written letters that when it lands on your desk and everyone just goes, "Oh, can we read this?" In full caps, everywhere yeah, exactly. printed. Some, if you're really lucky, you get one that's just lots of letters cut out from headlines and yeah, things. Yeah, hate mail. Yeah, I didn't get any <laughs> exactly. of those. But I, I knew because, as you pointed out, Kimmy's so divisive. 
that if you write something that isn't glowing with praise about about him, you're going to get a a few uh, a few not not particularly nice responses. Well, we'll get a little bit into what you think about Kimi Räikkönen's performances shortly. In the Kimi Räikkönen corner, shall mm-hmm. we say, uh, we have Anthony Rollinson making what will probably be your final appearance on the Old Sport Podcast, certainly for now, before heading off to pastures new. Indeed, indeed, not long left working for the for the network in F1 racing, but uh, you know, I'll, get me get me while you can, which you have. Well, we've just worked out there's a fairly regular clock going on it's sort of six years on six years off six years on you've yeah. had two stints so we'll uh, end of we'll my wait. second six year stint exactly See so you in 2024 then. 2024 that's when it's due maybe maybe <laughs> and that would take me through to uh what 2030 by which time i'll definitely be looking at retirement and kimmy will have signed another single year extension at salba you'll probably be le mans winning by then i would have thought you know multiple le mans winner exactly i'm, I'm sure kimmy will probably have more success than you will Oh, undoubtedly. Well, you're holding 12 I'm 12, sure we'll get paid 12 off. years to go, so he'll be, what, 30, just the right side of 50? No, no, be just just the other side of 50. He could still easily be racing sports cars by then. Yeah. 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 And let's let's have a, a cheeky wager that he will be. Well, there we go. How much yeah. are you wagering? I'll bet a tenner that in 2030, Kimi is still uh, an active professional racing driver. Okay. I will happily take that action. All right, all right. Okay. 100%. Definition of professional is a slightly tricky one, but uh, yeah, we can uh, we that's can what argue. Make, that's what makes that it a good bet. Yeah. Is that we can then argue in in six, twelve years time. Uh, well, let's say then for, for argument's sake, being paid to race rather than a gentleman driver, or or actually forking out his own money to race a car. Okay, Sounds good. well that's something for us to come back to. So what we're going to do 2028, we'll get back to that. So if someone could remind us, one of our listeners, that would be, <laughs> <laughs> that would be ideal. Well, let's get on with it. Raikkonen's being replaced by Charles Leclerc for our protégé next year. But let's just sort of set aside Leclerc and how good he is for a moment and talk about Raikkonen. I mean, is he good enough, the, the level he's performing at the moment, to be in Ferrari? Scott argued he, he isn't. Maybe we'll get on to your argument, argument in a second. But, Anthony, you've been, so we say, more positive about Raikkonen's performances. What do you make of his level at the moment? There's this consistency argument, isn't there? And you have to, I think, say, you have to take Ferrari's view, which, which you might say is a sort of holistic one, which is what Kimi does for the team overall, rather than just how good or fast a racing driver he is on his own merits. So I think he has done a job for Ferrari. He's done the job that they need him to do pretty much for the last two or three seasons. That doesn't mean he's the Kimi Raikkonen of old. Uh, it doesn't mean that he's ever going to win a world championship again. But I think he did show in Monza that um, he's still got race winning speed and he makes a lot fewer mistakes than Seb Vettel. Um, and let's face it, he has been racing under a sort of secret number two yoke for the last three seasons, whereby we know that he's there to support tacitly to support um, Seb so he hasn't been free, sort of free to race as it were so we haven't seen his true speed I don't think we've seen flashes of it in qualifying though especially when he's been happy with the car so I think the the raw pace and native ability is still there Scott? <laughs> um, I, I agree that the the peaks that we see from Kimi from time to time are still like right up there with anyone mm. on the grid Monza is the best example this year but also at the start of the season very first weekend he had the twisted irony that Kimi's most impressive pace wise weekend of the last three seasons started this season and it was the weekend where he wanted and needed to be the slower Ferrari driver because it was it was the way the race panned out with the the virtual safety car that, that ended up handing the race to Vettel and, and that was Kimi deserved the better result that weekend so the, the the fact that he still has those flashes isn't isn't the debate and there is that element in the background of Ferrari uh, how do they treat their drivers and I I, I don't think anyone I I don't think anyone in F1 could ever 
make a justifiable argument for why you would deliberately stitch up one of your drivers with the amount of money and everything that goes into racing. But there have definitely been moments where it almost seems like Ferrari forgets it's got a second car in the race. Um, But one thing I would say as a counter to that is that some of the mistakes we've seen them make with Vettel in the last few races, strategically with Mm. qualifying management, moves me back towards I think Ferrari are actually just a bit incompetent as a team rather than actively going out to to stitch Kimi up and if he's not their number one priority and obviously they see Vettel as their best title bet they're obviously going to sort of not necessarily as again to to stop Kimi doing well but they will sort of move in Vettel's direction if they think that he's their better long-term bet yeah I I wouldn't disagree with a word of that Um, it's it's I think it's pretty much unarguable. All of that, actually. Yeah. The main element, obviously, for me, I guess we're we're going to get onto this is the performance because while this year has been an improvement, uh, obviously Ed and Anthony, you've you've followed F one more closely than me over the previous seasons, but it's that longevity of his second Ferrari stint where if you look, judge him on an individual. And we can come on to the stuff you mentioned, Anthony, about the the job he does for Ferrari as an individual in a in an F1 car. The last four years have been quite, I mean, underwhelming. Feels like a polite way of, of putting it. I suppose it. the thing the thing I come back to with that though is that Ferrari essentially can pick any driver in the world, um, apart perhaps from Lewis Hamilton, right? Who probably wouldn't go even for all the money in the world. He'd probably stay in Mercedes. Mute point. So why, therefore, they kept Kimi? So they mu- there must be merits there. They don't need a stooge in the second car. They could have put Giovinazzi in. They maybe would have put Jules Bianchi in. They have put Charles Leclerc in, which is somewhat surprising. Great for, great for Leclerc. Great decision for Ferrari. But actually, against their sort of run of form, they, they, they could have put any number of drivers in that car. Roman Grosjean has been tipped. Hulk in the past. They've had Alonso in the past. Not, not as a number two, obviously. But, and they haven't done any of these things. They've kept Kimi. So he must do something for them. He must. They must see merit in him. If you look at Kimi as a number two driver specifically, in the years he's been partnered with Vettel at Ferrari, he's scoring points at a rate of 68.2% mm-hmm. of Vettel, which is actually, if you want a kind of number one, two thing, if you look at the history of the Constructors' Championship, that's about the right level. You want about a number two driver who needs to get two-thirds minimum of the points. Personally, I believe you want your number two driver to be getting a bit more than that because I've always believed in having the strongest possible driver lineup, But... He's at least ticking over at a good level. We can we can also look at the Raikkonen versus Vettel. 13 wins for Vettel, none for Raikkonen. 42 podiums for Vettel, 23 for Raikkonen. 10 poles for Vettel, 2 for Raikkonen. And it's 1,048 points Vettel, 715 Raikkonen. So all the metrics favour Vettel. On the, on the subject of what Raikkonen could do, because I don't think anyone's arguing that here, but there are those who will argue, oh, well, Raikkonen's really quick, he's being held back because they want Vettel to win. No team will over a period of time deliberately hold back a driver who they think is overall better if Rubens Barrichello was overall a high level driver than Michael Schumacher was in the Ferrari years he'd have become the number one that would just have happened but on some days he was but overall he consistently wasn't which is why those days sometimes when he was better it made sense to favour the other drivers that's just kind of the the, the number two landscape should we do and I'll just throw in one other number that the dry qualifying gap from Vettel to Raikkonen this year is 0.256 that's only the dry session so we're ignoring Belgium and uh, and Hungary that's the the eighth best this season so I think only at McLaren and Sauber with Alonso versus Van Dorn mm-hmm. and Leclerc versus Ericsson do we see a, a worst average gap but this was my one, one of the points I made was that that means that on pure one lap pace this year which I think we can all agree is Kimmy's most impressive on track mm. uh, performance wise uh, since his se- since he returned to, to Ferrari the company he's keeping 
are two drivers, one of whom has lost his drive for next year and another driver who a lot of people would argue shouldn't be on the grid. And I know that's only one metric, so it's dangerous. You don't, we wouldn't want to pin your entire argument on, on that. But that is that is the sort of calibre he is operating at over over one lap. And and I think that is, that is significant. The other thing is that uh, while Ferrari could pick any driver, I think one of the things that Kimi's probably benefited from over the last few years is that inherently conservative strategy of... He's a safe pick. He's a world champion, so it doesn't really fall on the Ferrari chiefs if he underperforms because they can say, "Oh, we put a world champion in the car," and all of this. I think he, that's a big part of it, actually. Yeah, and and he does, and, and you're right. He does. He works really well with the team. Uh, Vettel talks about the the factor of having a teammate where you know there are no games going on. Mm. Just get on with it. He's he's very good with feedback. He's often credited with being a good developer of the car. So he, he does have all of these attributes and. One thing as well that I quite like to stress is that I I don't necessarily think that Kimi doesn't deserve to be in F1 anywhere. I just think Sauber is a more fitting place for him to be than Ferrari because I don't think he is, over the course of an entire season, one of the four or six best drivers on the grid anymore. And ultimately, if you're looking at it from a purely meritocratic basis, that's who you want in those cars. And that's why ultimately Ferrari now, now that they have that proper viable top line person to put in the car they have now done that and Arriva Bene talked about that in, in Singapore about this is a long term thing because they see Leclerc as being a better bet than Raikkonen over, mm. over the next two, and three, four years better than Seb I would have thought actually yeah exactly and he's a long term option of it. yeah he can, he can be a person to lead the team so I think sort of Kimi's got lucky to a, to a, a degree because Ferrari have sort of been trying to get their house in order anyway so it's not like they've been fighting for titles and he's been holding them up um, they haven't. There hasn't been that obvious person to slot in on a one-year basis or or, or something. Uh, so it's sort of got a bit a bit fortunate there. And and now the the timing is is just right where Ferrari go. Okay, well we've got someone that we can upgrade him to somebody else. Um, it's just a twisted irony is that it comes in the season where he's doing the best job he's done since coming back in 2014. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't argue with the word that because I, I agree with everything you say. And my slight. Um, sadness actually is that Kimi has gone back to Sal rather than just quitting I think it will be really miserable I think it will be Michele Alboreto style slide from grace into actual virtual irrelevance because I think he'll fall asleep at Sal I think the one thing that does keep him awake at Ferrari is that basically he's out the front however hard he's trying he's, he's in one of the six cars that could win a race that's definitely enough to keep his attention and we see it from time to time we see flashes of the old fire um but I think in a Sauber which you know it's a decent car it'll be a mid-grid machine next year I'm sure I don't think we'll see anything from Kimi. Regular Q2 performances, he'll get a few points and cruise and collect, I think, for two seasons. And I think, actually, that's a bit of a sort of fagged way to set out his F1 career. And I'd much rather he just quit or, or, or himself said, I, I retire, rather than sort of just being allowed to slide into a mediocre team. The way, the way, the way I feel with that is that I, I completely agree that I, I, I really don't like it when you see a, a, a top driver who's won races and in this case a world championship mm. just do that. Where, and Kimi and his camp say that he's not doing it to cruise and collect it's because he just he wants to be in F1 he loves driving he loves racing I, I, th- I think that's true I do, I do think he, he loves doing it I think it would be wrong to characterise it just as a as a taking a pay packet I think I you can eventually slide into that though I think that I, and maybe you, I mean, you can tell me Anthony whether I'm giving you too much of the benefit <laughs> of the doubt here but I don't think he's going there initially with a case of right I'm just going to spend the next two years doing what I like and not really trying but it's that case of as soon as he goes there and it's he gets into that midfield thing then it's just a bit well, of a slump isn't I it? I think with Kimi I mean he, he laughs about himself how little he enjoys PR commitments and he does have some with Philip Morris and Ferrari and he has to honour those and, and you know 
pay lip service to them. I think this Sauber, there'll be zero. Um, if you look at it in just purely pragmatic terms, he lives in Switzerland. Sauber are based in Hinville. He could probably, you know, commute to work on his bike if he, if he, if he, if he wants to. I think he's talked about cycling. And, and, and these things, these things, um, you know, for someone at, at the, his stage in F1 cruise, he's sort of got nothing to prove anymore because he is a world champion. He was great once. He probably isn't anymore. It's like, well, you know what? I'll, I'll just take this for a couple of years. And in, in a way, why wouldn't you? I, I would argue for Tamer, sort of in that position where you think, uh, let's take Kimmy. Um, why? Why wouldn't he say yes? He'd have to be sort of quite cussed to to sort of say no, or you know, he'd have to have an ego so out of control that he says, actually, you know what? No, this is beneath me. And it's quite amusing, and I think quite I quite like the fact that he hasn't said uh, no. It's Ferrari or nothing. I'll, I'll take us out of the drive. I, I actually quite enjoy drivers who will continue further down the grid. I, I think it's yeah. I think it shows a certain enthusiasm. I mean, Michele Alberto's name yeah, was yeah. mentioned, but remember Alberto in '92 in the footwork with all those run of seventh places, yeah. and he's driving really well. That was a nice little fun yeah. subplot. And of course, he carried on until '94 with with Minardi, and he went on to have success won Le Mans after his, yeah. his F1 career. I think it, I think it, it, it's nice to have him still around. He is a big name. Yeah. I do have. A, I know that slightly flies in the face of my general position, which is that I like to see young drivers, good young drivers, come through. I think it's great that Ferrari have made this move. I think it's the right move to promote Charles Leclerc in place of in place of Raikkonen. But you know, Raikkonen has a has a place, and I guess he's kind of earned the right to to do this if he wants. What really matters, though, is will he actually perform? And yeah. if he's performing as he should in Sauber. He can actually be a very useful asset. Probably, I think he's probably more useful as an asset to an on-the-up midfield team than he would be yeah, as, as a top team. Yeah, he's bound to bring a lot to that team just by sort of career osmosis, if you know what I mean. There'll be so much knowledge and, and still talent just seeped into him that will leak out into the team. Um, he, he, will, he will be an asset for them. I can see why they, they want him if they're going to put Antonio Giovinazzi in the other car. Mm. Because if Ferrari do exercise their right to to put Giovinazzi in the seat that they have an option well, on. Because, of course, we should just stress that, that Ferrari controls one seat at Sauber and that's not the one Raikkonen's in. Yeah, that's an independent deal. That, that so deal was done with, done with Raikkonen it, and Sauber Exactly. Themselves. So in that situation, I because my base sort of position on this would be that what I don't like is that Kimi's going there and preventing someone like Van Dorn from having a second chance in F1 that I think, even that's though he's had been, been very, very underwhelming against Alonso in, in, in some measures... I think Van Dorn's pedigree shows that he deserves that chance outside of McLaren, which has been a ticking time bomb for, for some time and has chewed up and spat out so many young yeah. drivers over the last few years. Um, so in, in that regard, I kind of feel sad that Kimi is taking up one of those seats. But at the same time, I think he has something genuinely tangible to offer Sauber yeah. when, if they're going to run Giovinazzi. Yeah, if, you you don't look, want... if you look at it from Fred Vasseur's point of view, Kimi's on the market, probably at an absolute knockdown price or you know cheap engines, whatever it is, a deal will be done whereby Sauber can very much afford it. In a way, why wouldn't you? In fact, if I were Fred, taking Kimi rather than, for example, Stoffel, I think that's a no-brainer. I mean, Stoffel is a, is a he needs R and R for a couple of seasons with a team that will just put an arm around his shoulder and say it's all right, kid. And I don't I don't think Sauber is the team to do that. Not when they're on the rise as they are no. at the moment. There's a lot of. I'd argue Sauber under Vasseur might be the team to do that. Still. Maybe. I mean, uh, yeah, that, but that's I, a fair. I, I, they, I see they, where you're going with the they, point. They, but I think they, Vasseur they could do maybe it. Change. Absolutely, they, they could do it. They could sort of rejuvenate and rehabilitate. Stoffel, but uh, they seem to be quite an ambitious team at the moment. And if they, if they do end up with Kimi and Giovinazzi in a you know Ferrari powered Alfa Romeo half decent car, um, that's actually quite a punchy midfield lineup, and they'll, they'll want to use that to get fifth or sixth in the championship. I am very curious to see whether or not there is uh, a tangible improvement in in Kimi's performances because uh, we now know that he was told in the build up to Monza 
So uh, when they're actually at the Italian Grand Prix, so uh, and uh, although he obviously had a pretty good idea of what was going on, yeah, it was, no, it, was after, it was after Canada when Sergio Marchione, who has now passed away, basically made that decision, and then there was some possible changes. Kimmy's performance is picked up, so it's it'll have been on his radar. I yeah, think. absolutely. But my my point is that that's sort of been interpreted by some as well. Look, he told he he'd lost his drive and immediately put it on par one race Vettel into turn one, which if that was going to be the trend for the rest of the season, I would happily hold my hands up and say, do you know what? That argument actually was a lot stronger than I thought it was and I'm wrong. But then in Singapore, it was straight back to the Kimi that we've mm-hmm. known all season. It was the eighth time this year he's outpaced Vettel at the end of Friday mm-hmm. and he ended up behind him again in qualifying and, and the race. And I was having a look at some of the sort of session results this year and it's, as I say, eight times this year he's been quicker at the end of Friday. But only twice has he been quicker on on Saturday in FP3 and only four times has he beaten him in qualifying. So it's just that, this is my big problem with Kimi is that the evidence is there that he can still do it. He can still be at the top. But too often when it comes to that absolute pinnacle, elite performance competitive environment, it's just a string of random words there that doesn't really mean anything <laughs> but when it actually comes to the crunch he just does not quite do it at least not enough and that's what's it's th- this is the thing the the negativity when I, when I say that, that this fallacy about about Kimi which to me is that he's good enough and deserves to be in a Ferrari at the moment and that's what I think is the misconception it's born out of frustration I grew up absolutely loving watching Mike and one I I cheered him so hard in 2005. I desperately wanted him to win that title as a fan. He has been one of my all-time favourite drivers when I was growing up and watching watching the, the sport. And now witnessing him firsthand in the, as a sort of like almost fallen power is it, frustrating and sad. It's a little but. bit like Nelson Piquet at the end, actually, because I mean Piquet in his prime was a bloody quick driver. But I mean the, the latter years of Nelson in his sort of million-dollar race win bonus era was to me a driver who's who just fallen asleep and, and, and what w- was on was on cruising collecting C- certainly the lotus era pk in yeah. 89 was, was a bit but the benetton era one was a little bit yeah he no, had a bit was, of an that indian was, summer yeah, that was but he was on a he was on a deal that paid huge it was a million huge money win, per it? points wasn't yeah. it and he got he maybe got, it was a point yeah i, I think it was a yeah. points based incentive was it hundred thousand yeah. a point or something i can't and it was very lucrative and but, he won three times in that in that two-year period i mean we're all pushing the same door here, aren't we? I mean, Kimi is a faded great. Well, if, well from, my, from my point of view, he's a great. But I mean, he's certainly faded from what he was once capable of doing. Um, is he still worth being in a, worthy of an F1 driver? I, th- I think yes. Um, and I, th- I actually think always round, Ferrari have made the right decision. I think they sort of put him out to pasture in a way. They've given him quite a dignified ex- exit, which is quite nice. Because one thing we haven't touched upon, actually, which... Um, some people at the team will tell you is how popular Kimi is within Ferrari um, he's a very well loved driver um, people still speak very highly of him from his championship year and there's a lot of residual goodwill towards Kimi and I think to some extent that's that's sort of in the bank for him that's in it's credit for him with the team and that that helps explain some of the longevity that he's had there one of the uh, one of the most telling things for me was that when when Ferrari made its announcement there was that sort of run of announcements on the the Tuesday before before Singapore where it was first it was Kimmy's out of Ferrari and then it was Kimmy's going to Sauber and then finally it was the formal confirmation it was Leclerc to Ferrari but the, the very tedious way that all announcements must be made this mm. yeah this, uh, but but as as you two will well know what's Ferrari's way of communicating news it's a two line press release mm-hmm. saying so and so will be driving for Ferrari mm-hmm. next season or for the next few seasons and Kimmy's was a proper release mm-hmm. it was a quite a significant multi-part 
thing that was eventually attributed to Maurizio Ribabene. So it wasn't just a generic press release and thanking Kimi for his time there, pointing out that he'd always be a member of the, the, the family. And, and it read, given that this was the first one, that read as a proper, this guy's out. Mm-hmm. And he's not. He's, he's staying into... That's, that's how highly they regard him. Mm-hmm. That's, to me, that was a really... There was a genuinely emotive mm-hmm. example of, of what Raikkonen means to Ferrari. And, and you... That also, as you say, when you say it sort of explains the longevity, I, I can see why on a purely personal level as well that they probably didn't want him to go at any point over the last few years because they genuinely like the guy. And let's not forget, it's, it, we, we mustn't overlook this, he remains Ferrari's last world champion and that's probably going to be the case at the end of this season as well. Yeah, no, so, very much so. So that'll be, you know, a 12-year run um, since... He's the new Jody Schechter. Well, he is. <laughs> you know, he's going to have a farm in Hampshire soon. Well, let's see. Let's see. Far, far more organic cows. But I mean, it's it's mad, that whole thing. Because, you know, the, the whole, we're all of an era pretty much that remembers and perhaps were bored by the Schumacher years. In my case, that's a bit pejorative, but it is true. So we we saw absolute Ferrari domination, total world domination for a while. Um, Kimi's, Kimi's championship is much more in the sort of Ferrari way of things, which is one good year. You know, the Ferrari multiple championship champions are quite rare. We've got louder, uh, Back in the fifties, was Ascari a double Ferrari world champion? Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. You know, yeah, total yeah, domination from from Ferrari is unusual. Um, so you know, uh, we, we have to respect the fact that he was the last guy to do it. Still, Alonso couldn't do it, and Vettel won't won't crack it either. I don't think. I think we've uh, there's a couple of interesting topics there. There's sort of the past of Kimi and how good he is now compared to in his in his pomp and when his pomp was, and also the current situation with Ferrari. But just to pick up on one thing, you were talking about Scott with the the pace that Reutemann does sometimes show through. Grand Prix weekends. The, the thing that I do find frustrating with him is that yes, he's a good development driver, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but it's very well known he has very, very precise demands for the front end and the front end feel. And even guys back at McLaren talked about them spending huge amounts of time getting it right. Now there have been times with the tyres and the tyre balance that's been very difficult. One of the reasons he struggled in his early years with Ferrari was that he didn't really get on top of the Bridgestones, had a more understeer balance. That's why we so often in those races, like two thousand and eight, for example, you would see him set fastest lap later in the race but not have the qualifying speed but the, the problem he seems to have this year is there's often errors in qualifying because he's got he tries to carry tremendous speed into the corners sometimes he doesn't judge that well how much can be taken or he's got a very clear idea of how much should be and I think he's not always been the most adaptable in terms of that That's that would be one of my Chris's one of the frustrations I, I feel that it's every driver's got very precise demands of what they want from the car I feel that there's a driver there who if he just widen that operating window a tiny bit and found a way yeah. to then I think we've just seen more of that that sheer underlying pace that, that still crops up now it's just it is so rarely strung together these days yeah I mean back in 05 if we are going to turn the clock back I mean we all probably remember that year how outstandingly good he was seven wins I think wasn't it to Montoya's three um, the ja- well, that, that year the Japan win that, you know. that year he would have had a shot he'd have potentially been world champion but for unreliability and even Mercedes will admit yeah. that they were the, the kind of reason why he didn't yeah. win the championship and Alonso to, did I remember talking to our, our mutual friend Mark Hughes about um, watching Kimi uh, around the back at Budapest um, through the top chicane and he said he was watching trackside up there and he said he'd never seen anyone's hands move so fast and uh, the sheer car control that Kimi was able to ex- ex- exert on a machine that was totally um within his comfort level if you like he said it was like a, a, ha- a blur of his hands that he could see and he'd never seen another, another driver able to do that and I thought it was a very telling insight into what Kimi was able to conjure at his peak which admittedly is 13 years ago but, but that, that, uh, crucially in a car with tyres that were being developed absolutely. to work for it so it, yeah. again it comes back to that yeah mighty Michelin's that, at the front yeah exactly yeah. And, and you know he was brilliant those but periods. it's um, it, you know I think that's part when we talk about 
why Kimmy causes such an emotional reaction in people. I think it's because of that. People remember he was absolutely mega for a while. He was totally, totally brilliant. That year in particular, 05, I was chatting to Ed before about um, the Imola race that he had where he won San Marino Grand Prix. Alex Wurtz was substituting for Montoya, finished fourth on the road, um, third after Jensen was disqualified. Um, and Alex said afterwards, day like that, it's just Kimmy's special speed. You can't get close to him. And that was the kind of thing the other drivers were dealing with for a while. This is this is a kind of feel like what we see sometimes when uh, Hamilton properly turns it on, mm. like Singapore. That I I said after Saturday in Singapore that that that's he's he's the only driver on the grid at the moment who can do that kind of lap. Yeah. But I reckon that's where Kimi was a dozen years ago. Well, I say Verstappen was in that caliber at uh, yeah. Singapore as well. Maybe, but my my point is but that yes, is that's, that, that that's another driver joining him in that amazing calendar. Yeah, exactly. Not to, to and, and Verstappen, we need to see him. Yeah, Verstappen, we need to see that sort of obviously in a position where it's not just sort of clutching at that one-off chance yeah. that, that you get. And uh, yeah, so so that sort of feeling that you get when you watch a Hamilton lap now mm. is sort of the only is the closest modern equivalent I think we have to what Kimi was like in yeah. in, in those days. And you're right, that is that's the problem, isn't it? Like the, the you know the bigger you are, the harder you fall. And mm. there are some people that haven't been, quite been able to let go. I don't think of the fact that Kimi just isn't that good anymore. They just think yeah. they're so determined. So especially some of the things that I've seen, obviously, and, and have been on the receiving end of over the last few days, um, is that that just because he was that mega once doesn't mean yeah. he is now. And you just you want to cling to that so badly, you find yeah. other reasons to it. And that's where this argument about Ferrari deliberately stitching him up comes from, because that's the obvious and easy way of saying this is why Kimi isn't allowed to do it. It's not that he can't, and it's not that he won't. It's because yeah. he's not allowed to. The, the strange thing is with Kimi is he's sort of become this... He's become a driver who sort of ended up being a great number two. It's interesting because you do have to sort of divide his career in in half almost. Um, but I was he, he's got this record, a hundred podiums, and I've had people coming back to me say, "Look at all the podiums he's had this year." And I thought to myself, "Well, this is this is interesting. Twenty wins out of a hundred podiums." So I thought, "Well, let's take all the F1 drivers who've won five or more world championship races for a decent number and look at the podium wins to podiums percentage." And I was actually quite surprised by how badly Kimmy came out of this. There's 51 drivers in this list. He's 47th with a 20%. Yeah. 20% of his podiums are wins. That's ahead of Jacques Lafitte, Clay Regazzoni, Riccardo Patrese, yeah. Rubens Barrichello. He's down with the Burgers, the Coulthards, the Webbers, the Alberettos, you know, the people who tend to be seen as, you know, very strong drivers, but the sort of the, the second tier, really good yeah. backup drivers, which is, which it, to me, again, is a bit of a shame because that's not what the Kimmy of, I'd, I'd argue the McLaren years Kimmy was the, the greatest one I think he was, it, he was I, certainly the fastest uh, he was, exactly, he, yeah. you know he was the guy that you looked to for outright CSP. and also we have to remember his his second full season uh, third full season in Formula 1 yeah. in 2003 the second with McLaren in a car the 17D that was raced that year yeah. was not that year's McLaren that was the 18 and although people in the team say it was one of the most fun years those who were on the race team yeah. because they could just work on the 17D yeah. making it work while everyone else was looking at the 18 in a, watching it peel <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly but Kimi that year his championship was built on tremendous consistency, yeah. tremendous pace out of a out of a car that was uh, that should have been a slower. So you could argue that was oh three and oh five were probably better years in his championship winning year. But it's rare you see the driver that 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 sort of has almost that sort of backwards career. But yeah. again, so much has changed in Formula One. The thing I always say that when I when you come down to the all time greats, mm-hmm. Fernando Alonso, let's take him. I think we'll all agree he's an all time great. Now, when was the last time you heard Fernando Alonso complaining he's being a bit rubbish because the feel of the car isn't there? He'll tell you the car's rubbish mm. and not very quick, 
But you watch you watch Alonso tracks. I was watching in Singapore the weekend. The way he was provoking the car, you could see Van Dorn was sort of battling. He was sort of having understeer, and he just sit there with it, thinking, oh, "This car's just not got the front end." Alonso was experimenting, finding tricks. Mind you, he's he's almost uniquely good at that. I mean, Alonso's brilliant at that because he combines that that intellect with that ability to hang on to a yeah. car. He he will put you know you will, you will see him. That's been a trait of his career. Exactly, you'll yeah. you'll see him put the car in an awkward position and yeah. and the, the sort of speed and the car control and etc. I mean, he's an extreme case, but the same with you know Hamilton will complain if the car's not quite right in terms of the tyres working but you still sort of back into drive anything and that yeah. that's sort yeah. of what put Reich, puts Raikkonen into that that sort of second tier for me he's still, yeah. still a great driver and yeah. anyone who can still be getting podiums and pole positions I'm, at the age of 39 what, what are you talking about you know when Kimi Raikkonen made his Grand Prix debut I was, just, I was just finishing university yeah, yeah. so you know his longevity is tremendous I was nine yeah. just just, <laughs> just um, going back to that it just, it just prompts a thought about Kimi which is now this is opinion not fact just to be completely clear I don't know we're very important on these things some people struggle with the difference opinion not fact but I think Kimi is one of those drivers to whom the business of driving a car exceptionally quickly comes more naturally than than almost breathing it's just what he does and it's what he can do and I think this taps into something quite interesting with him which is that if he's therefore not motivated by the thing by the machine at his command it's sort of like well, I can't really be asked and I think you sort of see a bit of that with him um, just in his driving and in his manner he, he's never been one for the trappings of Formula 1 he's not in Formula 1 because he he loves the F1 circus bubble he loves the racing and, and and I still think it just it's always come so easily for him that sometimes it's like do I actually have to try hard at this so when you get a Vettel up against you for example who will work and is an absolute grafter within a team it's like oh god I actually have to raise my game a little bit I can't just rely on my talent and there's there's a whole bundle of things there in just what I've said but I, I, my central point is that Kimi I think is one of the most naturally quick and gifted racing drivers I've ever watched I mean watched Formula 1 for more than 30 years it's just it never looks hard for him it's just what he does I would agree with you especially the point that 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 attitude of being so good naturally then has a whole bunch of unintended mm. consequences when it doesn't quite quite go your way and um, this is an, another thing that sort of Kimi does get a lot of credit for that element of being able to right, identify problems and improve the car and I know someone came back to me and said oh well where would Ferrari be if they still had Alonso not Kimi they'd just be driving around all of the problems and it's like well that does actually do Vettel a massive disservice mm-hmm. and also the work that Ferrari does itself because yeah. how many times this season have we seen from Friday to Saturday we talked about Kimi outpacing Vettel on eight Fridays this year but only ended up beating him in qualifying four times um, because Ferrari does a hell of a lot of work and it utilises the likes of Antonio Giovinazzi back on the simulator really well to work out what's going wrong and and I know that I'm sure that Kimi plays a significant part in that with the feedback he gives engineers but there are a lot of other people that are making that car tick and and, and mm. the, the likes of like Matteo Bonotto changing everything in-house from that dreadful 2016 2016 season and I'm not saying Kimi hasn't played a part in Ferrari's revival but I don't think he has played a a solo virtuoso part in that and and also you then have to judge him as a driver for what he has since done with the improved product and he hasn't been the person to get the most out of it the driver's number one object uh, number one thing on the job list is to extract as close to 100% of the potential of the car mm. from it. Number two on the job list is to help improve the potential of that car. And there's, I'd say there's partly the sort of the myth of the development driver, which I had to qualify quite carefully. A driver who gives good feedback, a good development driver is valuable, but 
they can't magically make the car brilliant. They can't supersede the limitations technically of the, of the team. They can feed into it. They can offer direction. They can help to clear through the, the mud that there may be in terms of understanding where you need to really improve. And, and Raikkonen can be very, very good at that because Formula 1 teams have all this data, huge amounts of data, and people make a mistake with data. They think data is just you feed things into a computer and it gives you the answer. What data gives you is this great big haystack and you've got to find the needles in it. So the driver can play a part in helping you do that, but they can't make the needles any better or the haystack fundamentally better. They can just get you to look in the in the right place, should we say. So I think you know, Kimmy's had a had a value as that, but it, I don't think it's any more valid to say that Kimmy Raikkonen's helped Vettel become a championship contender than it would be to say, well, if Kimmy was that good a development driver, the 14 car would have been better. That, those are both it, it, very limited arguments you're saying. Interesting point, though, which is if you look at it from a team point of view, which I think is really uh, fundamental to understanding why Kimmy's still at Ferrari or, you know, the last year of being at Ferrari, why he stayed there so long. He has given them something that they kind of just don't have to worry about. And when you're a team like Ferrari constantly in rebuild, if you like, or constantly pushing away, trying to win a championship, a lot of changes, you know, the Arriva Benny, uh, the um, Marchioni thing this year will be another big change for Ferrari. It may not manifest itself straight away. There's always turbulence around Ferrari one way or another. Having Kimi there is probably quite a good bit of calm headspace for a team manager or for a technical director that can just say, okay, that... 1% of my brain or 2% of my brain, whatever it is, is calm. I don't have to worry about that thing. I don't have to worry about actually Charles, Charles Leclerc is going to out-qualify Seb next year and destabilise my championship contender. They've just had to not think about that. And I think in such a competitive environment, it's a, it's a little bit like the, the Bottas at Mercedes thing and Toto Wolff talked about this. You know, it, It's quite good to have tiny little pools and oases of calm. And I think that's something what Kimi has brought. It's not what Kimi Raikkonen was, but I think it may be what he's become to Ferrari. Yeah, and he has obviously been a very valuable asset to them in in in, in different ways. But as we sort of all said at one point or another during this podcast, it's not in performance. Mm-hmm. It's not in consistent. Uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna win us races and 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 be a crucial part of our of our championship challenge. And one of the things that um, I think I, one of the things I definitely wanted to address was that some people were trying to sort of throw back at me that, you know, Raikkonen's record this year, even though he's been stitched up by Ferrari at times. And if you look at Bottas versus versus Hamilton, but it's actually a red herring to go down the, the, the path of, of what Kimi's lost this year. Because yes, there were really obvious things like the the, the, the mechanical problems in, in Spain and the, the Bahrain pit stop debacle. But, but Vettel obviously has thrown away a, a good 50 or 60 points himself. He's also been cost mm. about 20 or 25 points through things outside of his own control. Um, Bottas has lost an enormous number of points this year from stuff. Mm. Not just bad luck like the puncher in, in Azerbaijan that cost him a win or re- retirement in Austria, but quite a few bungled strategy calls like leaving him out on tyres at, at Silverstone and Hungary, for example, which cost him you know between, between six or eight points there like, on both occasions. So Bottas would be a lot further up the road and it's, it's, it's misleading and it's wrong to do a direct comparison with Bottas and, and, and Raikkonen because if they're in those teams for different reasons and to do different jobs. Bottas is a very different part of his career to Raikkonen. Bottas what claimed poles and took wins last year. He's a, I don't want to say different calibre because that will sound like I'm saying Bottas is light years ahead of Raikkonen as a Grand Prix driver but I just I think if you're looking at performance alone Raikkonen's not even on Bottas's level at the moment and Bottas, you don't 
but that you'd find very few people that consider him to be on Hamilton's level. Mm. And then you, once you get into those sort of comparisons, you see that sort of Raikkonen is just a little bit far behind. And to go back to something I said at the very beginning, I'm really pleased he's staying in F1 in some way because I think he has something to bring to Salva. He is very popular. And just on a pure business point of view, that that's good for us. But it's also good to see that he makes people care about F1. That shouldn't be undervalued. Mm. I'm just pleased that he is not going to be taking up a seat that is ultimately a best use to someone else. One question, just to pick up on what you were saying, Anthony, about there's a couple of percent they don't have to worry about the second driver. We've seen Vettel has thrown away. I mean, I think however you slice and dice the points, Vettel's lost. There's different ways you can look at it. It's the difference between leading the championship and being 40 points behind. Mm -hmm. How many points he'd lead by depends on exactly how you emphasise it. There have been significant mistakes. But could you argue that has Vettel been almost too comfortable with Raikkonen, the driver? He knows he's got the edge over in the second seat because well, on the, you can make the contention that you want your lead driver to be happy and comfortable yeah. but you can make the contention that also that you need to push them on and given that Vettel has taken a car that could be leading the world championship to second in the championship and barring I mean it's it, the championship's still open but chances are he won't win it you have to argue well has that gambit actually worked would it, well, would my, it my view on this is, is probably not quite the answer you're pushing it if you like but I think this year has shown the gulf between the, the final gulf in talent and class between Lewis Hamilton and Seb Vettel and I think we'll look back and say and probably reflect that Lewis Hamilton was simply a different order of driver from Sebastian Vettel, who is absolutely terrific. I would argue probably not a great. I think he got very lucky at Red Bull, made the most of a situation. I think Lewis Hamilton, if he wins the championship this year, I, I don't see how anybody could argue that he's one of the absolute top two or three ever Formula One drivers. And I think he's demonstrating that weekend in weekend out this year I think Vettel's suffering a little bit from that from from the teammates he had at Toro Rosso and Red Bull because the problem we have with Vettel the where you see that gulf between Vettel and Hamilton is Vettel does not respond mm. as well in the high pressure situations yeah, he's, when that's he's, his weakness when he's on pole when he's having a good weekend it's all going well he puts it on pole he is astonishingly good. He's yeah. so good in those uh, situations and then he controls a race and he'll dominate a race as equally as good as Hamilton can. Yeah. There, there is absolutely no debate there. It's when it comes to that those moments where, right, you have a split second to make a choice. Do you make the wrong one? And if yeah. you spent, what was it, when he was Torosso, who was the teammate at Torosso? Was it Borde? Borde, yeah. And then when he went to... Liotzi initially, and, we yeah, should say. Yeah, um, And then when he went to Red Bull, he had Weber, who... Yeah. Very good driver, Grand Prix winner, but not at the absolute top table. So Vettel's always had that thing where he has had that element of comfort. And maybe that was really good for him building Red Bull around him. I know, Ed, that you're a massive fan of things like when Red Bull, uh, when Vettel was able to utilise the hmm. sort of blown diffuser element and stuff like that. But oh, I, do, I do think I should just say Weber. I think probably the point when he was in the, in the, the strongest car was a time that kind of perhaps didn't show in the best light. But Weber, to be able to outpace Mark Weber and Headset is, is is a big challenge actually. I think I think he's uh, very yeah very very quick driver. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean yes, Vettel was a, a a cut above Weber, but I think Weber perhaps there was a little bit of unfortunateness with <laughs> with the uh, with the time there. But certainly we can definitely say Vettel had the full support of, of Red Bull. The, the response to the 2010 Turkish Grand Prix collision between him and Weber, yeah. which was Vettel's fault. Yeah. Was was very strange. I mean, someone described Helmut Marco's response as almost paternal in that, in yeah, that situation. But, 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 so, yeah, I think your basic point is correct. I just wanted to come in in, uh, in defence of no, that. Abso- absolutely. But my my point is that if you, oh, my point is that if He's you then flinging your pen across, the yeah, team, in that, fury. that's how much you want to make this point. <laughs> um, if you then compare Vettel's path from the beginning of F one to now, or beginning of his F one career to now to Hamilton's, 
Hamilton went through the what could only have been an absolutely gruelling rookie season alongside Alonso. Yeah. Okay, he then had Kovalainen as his teammate, but he was up against Ferrari that had Massa yep. and Kimi, so that was very, very tough. And prevailed. And he, yeah, and prevailed. Yep. He's had he's he spent how many years alongside Jensen, who is a ridiculously intense and determined competitor who, who peak Jensen at that point as well that exactly. was the best peak we Jensen, saw of Jensen who highlighted a bunch of Hamilton's own deficiencies yep. so Hamilton had to learn from yep. that and then he went up against Rosberg who people downplayed and Rosberg mm-hmm. just kept coming out swinging yep. so Hamilton has had to overcome so many challenges yep. and in so many high pressure situations that I think it's just made him he's, he's not invincible mm-hmm. we've seen and I've, I've lost count of the number of times I've pointed this out this year Austria when he had that massive flap yeah. and basically mentally capitulated he yeah. does have that in his arsenal yeah. but nowhere near to the degree yeah. that Vettel has and I just wonder and maybe Leclerc's coming in too late because Vettel's far too far into his career but I do wonder if someone like Leclerc is just going to light a bit of a fire up under Vettel mm. and just it's going to be a case of right Vettel you either now sink or swim in in yeah. these high pressure situations are you finally going to step up and, and be as good as you are the rest of the time or is this just going to keep that trend well, going, going of you not g- going right in? back to our, where we started if you like I'm sure that's a big part of the motivation for Ferrari to put Leclerc in because I think they, they've identified that as, as Seb's weakness and well, we should also say they have said that the long term future is part of it as well and yeah. let's remember Vettel's still 31 yeah. so Vettel could easily be well going by Raikkonen standards he could have another 10-11 years yeah, in, in Formula 1 so it's not, it's not like Vettel's sort of about to be put out to pasture necessarily yeah, well probably not but um, well, your, not, your, by, your not point by age I'd, I'd, I'd absolutely agree with what you said and, and I was thinking about it on the way in and to me Seb and I've got huge respect for him I think he's he's brilliant he's funny he's immensely quick all those points you make he, he's, a, he's a great battle but he's not yeah. necessarily quite in that, that no, but he's um, he's a sing when you're winning driver to me he's, he's how happy is he when he gets pole how happy is he when he wins everything else is thunderstorms you know and it's, it's somehow dealing with the downside which is something he, he doesn't do well and that's an, that's been known since his Formula BMW days you know he was stroppy he'd, he'd throw a tantrum if someone took him off you know um, that is part of Seb Vettel maybe, maybe it's one of those things you just can't fix because it's like who you are but it is a weakness and it, and it makes him less good it'll be interesting to see how he handles that when he doesn't have Raikkonen because not only in those situations he pointed out didn't he before Singapore um, before putting in the wall that he's his own worst enemy mm. or yeah. own biggest enemy. Um, the problem there is that he's his own biggest enemy in an external fight. Mm. He only has to worry about people in other cars. He knows he's top dog. He knows he's the number one. Yeah. And Leclerc is really, really good. And I I don't know if he'll step up first season and immediately take it to, to Vettel. I think he's definitely good enough to. But sooner or later, and I suspect sooner, there will come a point where where Vettel realises that what he had with Raikkonen really was comfortable, yeah, and then and and how he and how he responds to that will determine will have a massive influence over what Ferrari does over the next two or three years in F1. I think it'll be interesting to see because the last time we saw this sort of situation was when Daniel Ricciardo came into Red Bull. Now he yeah. out, he outperformed Vettel in 2014. There are a certain number of caveats you can put against. Vettel that year because obviously he'd, he'd had four brilliant years the Red Bull wasn't up to it that year at the time I could say we can kind of forgive maybe a year where he's been a bit off this is a little bit different because Vettel the, the kind of thing he needs to do now is he needs to be a Ferrari world champion mm. he hasn't got four Ferrari world titles to fall back on so if he gets a hurry up from Leclerc and I suspect you know Leclerc's going to out him early in the season and give him 
the pace is going to be. Oh, well, I mean, this, this guy's yeah. quick. And I think it's almost how how he responds to that will define how, how we see Vettel, who I do think is a phenomenally good driver. He's, he's driver. absolutely yeah. Out, yeah. He, he is outstanding. He has, but it's those moments his head's got when he's kind of improvising, leading in the damp on slicks in Germany yeah. when Hamilton was driving superbly and said, "But you know, it, it's it's a small misjudgment, but." Yeah a small misjudgment nonetheless that cost him not just 25 points but even more because it, it helped yeah. Hamilton to win I think we've all written that Seb needed to win for Ferrari to to absolutely nail down his credentials to sort of eliminate the slight doubts that people have how good were his Red Bull titles how how fortunate how blessed was he to have that new car four years running that he made work for him had he been able to win in a Ferrari and take that title this year or maybe next year we'd have, we'd have said yes okay you kind of have to shut up now but Lewis is turning that on his head and I think really it's the Lewis doubters this year who are going to say you know what you can't really knock that guy anymore He's he, he keeps winning in every whatever the curveballs you throw at him at the start of the championship season he is managing to, to win titles and he's probably going to do it again this season that's what Seb hasn't yet been able to do with Ferrari so he's, he's a step he will remain a step away from greatness I think sadly until he manages to do that and he may not he may not well, I think that's quite a good note to end on. Unless Scott, you have any any final points you want to make? I think we've all sort of we, uh, sort of framed this as a bit of a an a, a polar opposites argument, but I think we've all kind of broadly agreed with a few little uh, little shades of difference in terms of our view of Raikkonen. And, uh, and, and I think one of the things that I would like to see this season, I'd like to see him get a win before he leaves Ferrari. Monza would have been perfect. It would have been. I was so gutted. Yeah, it would absolutely. It would have been. And what I hope but, this does. And do you know what? If Vettel hadn't made the error. Yeah. If Vettel had been second on the road or at least giving Hamilton something to think about, yeah. Raikkonen might not have had to push so hard exactly. after his pit stop, might not have had the blisters, and maybe Raikkonen would have won. They, they'd have done to Mercedes what Mercedes did to Ferrari. Yeah. So we're agreed that it's Vettel's fault. <laughs> Raikkonen should be a race winner. Um, what I hope this has done is sort of eliminated any any suggestion that there... What, what I really dislike is when you basically... Especially when you go against a popular opinion, but basically when you aren't total in your praise about someone you then get labeled a hater yeah. and when you praise a driver for doing something good you get labeled a fanboy it's this horrible I'm, I'm sure it definitely happened before the internet but it's been exacerbated immensely by the internet and that that isn't the case everyone recognizes how good Raikkonen was how good he still can be it's just the right time for him to be out of Ferrari. It's as simple as that. It's one of the curious things that you get. And I suppose it's the nature of where you've got very motivated fans. I mean, sometimes I'll give someone a really good drive rating in a race. And say, oh, but early in the season you gave them a really low drive rating. It's like, well, it's if they have day. a bad weekend different and race. make massive error, they're going to get a low rating. They're not getting a low rating because I don't like them. And if they do well, they're going to get a high rating. And they don't get a high rating because I like them. It's, yeah. it's a, it's what, I mean, we may be wrong, but we're sincerely wrong if we are. Yeah. You're sincerely wrong. Exactly, yeah. Have we, That's has, on my business card. Has, has there ever been a driver like Kimi? Has anyone had a career like Kimi's? I, I, I don't think so. And uh, people like to liken him to James Hunt, but I don't think that's really oh, the James right. James was so much shorter. Yeah, very, very, very different. Yeah, very different. Not really in the same league, dare I suggest. Yeah, I think it's, Raikkonen's uh, better. Raikkonen yeah. is more exciting in a mm. just sort of a... It wasn't just like, hey, you took you one opportunity and no. you're a bit flamboyant. It's just Raikkonen's... Yeah, right. Yeah, no, he, he, he was above. he was absolutely the real deal for for a while. Yeah, no question. I, I yeah. think it's it's rare because normally drivers get better as they progress yeah. until they kind of hit the crest and yeah. and, and decline. Whereas Raikkonen, yeah. it, it, it's exacerbated by having this strange career in that he had the two year hiatus when obviously Ferrari decided he wasn't performing well enough. They got Alonso in, so yeah. Raikkonen had a year where he was paid not to race for Ferrari in 2010, yeah. and then he had another year out in level when he was doing his WRC stuff, and then he came back with Lotus, did a good job. And then this sort of Ferrari fit. So it's a really weird 
career he's had. I think in terms of, is there a driver you can kind of liken him to? Not maybe not, not really. I mean, sometimes there's drivers who were brilliant and they had an injury or something. Yeah, but that's that's a different thing. There's doesn't no crash, doesn't crash much, Kimmy, does he? Oh, he doesn't. He's a good, good sign of talent. He doesn't crash a lot. You know that when he hit Hamilton at Silverstone, that was unusual because it was such a rare. All right, he's very classy on track. He's very correct on track. So there's a lot. To, there's a lot yeah. to like about him. But he's this, this is the thing. I think fundamentally, people like to portray him as this sort of thriller minute, yeah, flamboyant. Dramatic, and, he, and he's not that. He's this consistent to, to, nowadays. Anyway, he's this consistent, dependable driver, the type that often gets criticism from people, which I just find a, a little bit strange. But yeah, has there ever been a driver like Kimi Raikkonen? Not really. Mm. And that's why it's nice in a way that he's going to be around for for a few more years. There's one more anecdote I should just throw in because I've just remembered it. Um, now this may be apocryphal, but so what if it is? Because it's funny. Um, as long as it's not libelous, it's not libelous. Ferrari drivers get shell fuel cards, which which you won't be surprised at they can fill the car up free with a shell fuel card <laughs> apparently the Kimi Raikkonen account came in one day with a 45,000 single item bill on it so it turns out that Kimi had filled up his private jet with a shell fuel card and you know he, he went back to the guys at Shell and said well you said I could use it all any, anywhere anytime and apparently had done well that's fair so, enough isn't it no, he, so he will, it's such a good story let's hope it's true that there's something there in the precision of what you of the, how you communicate yeah, with exactly. Kimi Raikkonen there's other stories related to that where he's not done it it's just treating things the way he was told to uh, De Montezemolo gave him a special phone didn't he when when he signed for Ferrari he said this Kimi is the phone you must always leave on because it's it's from me the, the president chairman of Ferrari apparently Kimi got home just dropped in a glass of water I think we can all respect that uh, <laughs> that course of action if you'll have a special phone hotline well I don't know whether we've unravelled much of the mystery of Kimi Raikkonen but hopefully we've it's, it's we just been interesting we have talked about to, dolphins well there we go why do you want to talk about dolphins well Kimi's inflatable dolphin fixation oh yes yeah, you know, sorry, getting yes. drunk falling off speedboats these are the reasons we love Kimi He's a, he's a great character. but Ice but, cream. Well, yeah, yeah. Although, Leave me alone, I know what I'm doing. His yeah, tyre temperatures have dropped. And he, the you the, see, the, the, the list goes on. The tyre temperatures have dropped there. You know, if, if Alonso hadn't made the mistake at the restart, this is Abu Dhabi <laughs> 2012 we're talking about when he when he won. You know, he, he, yeah. he might have been at risk. So uh, did he know what he was doing at that point? <laughs> Who knows? But he still won the race. Well, very true. Well, no, absolutely. Yeah. No, you can't, you can't question him for that. But no, the story's a, a legion. So that's what people like about him. He is a real kind of human character as well even though a lot of his character doesn't come across quite as well as, as it as it should do. Well, that's what that's the one thing that I, I still don't quite understand. And we had that, obviously, the the example front and centre in Singapore when he was asked, well, why are you joining Sauber? And he sort of shrugs and says, why not? And everyone laps it up and thinks it's brilliant. But actually, in that situation, that to me is one of the most frustrating aspects of Kimi because you may, maybe it's wrong to say you have a duty to answer that question properly. But I think if you... You're the you're the story of the moment. You're asked a completely genuine and valid question. It wasn't like he'd been asked it ten times before and just snapped. It's the first time he got asked about it, basically, and you just dismiss it like that without it, a pithy be, reply. Uh, what, what I wanted to see, I was in that press conference. I asked him a question about the uh, about that where he, he elucidated a tiny bit more, but it's because I wanted to I want to see sort of see the enthusiasm that we know is there. It's a chance for him to really you know say what what drives him for it and he always comes back to it like when i asked him a question later on i said right okay we know you want to drive for sal but you've said that but what what's it that makes you want to be here what what do you want to do and he sort of said well racing i like and then he sort of said well the media he's always sort of saying well, i don't really like doing the media stuff which is amusing but it's kind of well all i want to do is really understand it doesn't not he has to explain himself to us it's just a chance to look i know there's a there's an interesting character in there who's who's here for the right reasons and just want to you just want to see it a little bit and that there's a difference between being a not wanting to be kind of a megastar 
and all and not wanting all the trappings and fame and just being willing just to kind of just give people a little window just into the into the into the great enjoyment you get out of being there because he does enjoy being there which well, is, which is be great less of the enigma you talked about at the very beginning wouldn't well, it? well I wait that's the point to finish that. I mean I think I think one of the reasons people love him is he's a bit of a blank slate so you can project whatever you want onto him and he becomes this sort of that you can reflect your own your own interests and passions and desires and various other things so that that's I think one of the reasons why he's so enduringly popular a throwback to the day when we didn't uh, didn't hear from drivers should we say quite so much well I don't think we've really answered the question of uh, of Kimi Räikkönen but hopefully we've uh, we've entertained and offered a little bit of insight and if you like insight head to autosport.com lots of news there about goings on in Formula 1 the whole world of motorsport our plus subscriber area as well where for a, a small fee you can read articles by the uh, the best writers in motorsport plus occasionally pieces by myself and Scott Mitchell we're in the, we're in the second tier when it comes to, it comes to that uh, also check out sister title F1 Racing Magazine out monthly and motorsport.com. Check out Pitstop Betting as well if you're if you fancy a, a flutter on uh, on Formula One or other forms of motorsport, including MotoGP and IndyCar. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Reach new career heights with University of Maryland's Robert H. Smith School of Business. Flexible MBA and MS options. GMAT and GRE not required. Learn more at go.umd.edu slash smithschool. University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Inspired, fearless, unstoppable. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply